0: You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias.
1: Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Bible for Normal People podcast. Today, our title, our topic, our area of conversation is, Hey Jesus. And we're talking with Trey Pearson, who was part of the Christian band, Every Day Sunday, for a long time, and then he came out. So, that title, Hey Jesus, is part of a song that we'll play for you here in the beginning, and we'll also play the whole song at the end, so you can get a little flavor for Trey as an artist, but in between that, we're going to have some fun conversation.
0: And, you know, we met Trey, I mean, that was your first time meeting Trey at Wild Goose Festival, right?
1: James? Yeah, that was my first time meeting. Mine too.
0: He's just a great guy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, Trace is a wonderful person. He's a great human being. And it was, you know, we've been looking forward to having a chance to chat with him here on the podcast. And I think you'll enjoy the conversation, too. He's a very honest, forthright, and humble guy, but also a passionate guy. So, it was was great talking with him.
1: Yeah, and he mentioned in the podcast that he wears everything on his sleeve, and that really comes out here. And I I appreciated his vulnerability and just his storytelling and and being so open about his journey. I think that's really powerful. All right, well, here is a little bit of his song, Hey Jesus, and then we'll get into the conversation with Trey Pearson.
2: Hey Jesus, can you hear me now? It's been a while since I came out. I was wondering, do you love me the same? You see, I've loved you since I was young. Tried to be the greatest son, now I'm wondering could they love me the same Cause I know that I could never change I tried so hard, brought so much pain And I just wanna be loved for who I am I know that I could never change I tried so hard, brought so much pain And I just wanna be loved for who I am I just wanna be loved for who I
1: am. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good.
0: So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. microdose.com, promo code normal people. Trey, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, yeah, listen, let's get to know you a little bit. We know you, but... There might be four or five people out there who don't know who you are. <laughs> so, why don't you just tell us what you do? And also, we, we want to get into your own sort of process of faith and maybe just tell a little bit about your story because that's interesting and I think it connects with a lot of people.
3: Sure, yeah. I guess sort of the gist of a big part of my story is that I used to be on a huge Christian record label with my old band, Every Day Sunday. Did that for quite a while, had a handful of number one Billboard singles on Christian music charts and and things like that and have toured the world my whole adult life and then about Two years ago, I came out of the closet and accepted myself after a very long time of not being able to as gay. Before that, I was married to a woman and I have two beautiful kids, but I I grew up very much in a super conservative Christian world where it was a choice to be gay when I was a kid. And uh, that's what you were taught. And that I think for me, from every aspect of how I grew up, till I was 14 in a super Calvinist Bible church, I had been you know, very much taught it was wrong to be gay and God would be disappointed and, and maybe even angry with me if I was gay. And I had this fear that my parents would not be proud of me anymore and they wouldn't love me for who I am. And that's one thing that always mattered a ton to me and probably I think matters a lot to most kids and ended up in a more of a Wesleyan church at the age of 14 uh, or a youth group at first and eventually started going to church there full-time. And so kind of not only dealing with Calvinism versus Arminianism as a teenager, but also a suppressed gay kid who is trying not to be gay because I wanted to be a great man of God and for a nerdy Bible-loving teenager that Was obsessed with trying to understand what it meant to be a man of God. I was doing my best to to make that happen. You know, the best I knew how. So growing up here in Columbus, Ohio, I thought I could figure out whatever it took to to be straight. And I, I desperately wanted to. I don't know, make sense of my sexuality with with my faith, and that took me into a very interesting world, I guess, you know? I I did sign with a big Christian record label at 21 years old, not too long after my freshman year of college, and it took a long journey to get to where I am now, but I guess that's sort of the quick gist of of who I am.
0: Well, I mean, tell us a little bit more about that journey, because you used the phrase before you were Bible-loving, and it, it sounds to me that your own process didn't well maybe i'm just you know assuming something here but it didn't seem to go through a bible god loathing part of the process but it's more like you were accepting yourself as a man of faith and then trying to f- find out how that works together? Am, am I saying that well? Or, or, or I
3: think so. You know, I think for me, as a kid, I, you know, I was taught, like most kids are, that Jesus loves all the little children of the world. I was taught that God loves me, and I knew that I loved God. And so, everything else had to make sense with that, right? And so, I think, I, yeah, I very much became obsessed with trying to understand every part of me uh, with what I knew about what I was taught as a Christian. And so, you know, as a teenager, I read the Bible, Genesis through uh, Revelation, the whole thing straight through six times by myself, just in my own devotional time. And I memorized the book of James. I was in Bible Bowl. We had buzzers. I mean, you know, the, the whole deal, right? And so I think, I, yeah, I was always obsessed with trying to understand all these things, you know, like I think even as a kid who ended up in a Wesleyan youth group, and and for those of you who don't know what Calvinism is, it's this idea that uh, I would say the biggest, gist for me, would be the ideas of predestination and eternal security. It kind of wraps up in, in church language and Christianese. It wraps up around those things, you know. There's the. Can
0: you explain those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because not everyone is necessarily familiar with those terms. Yeah,
3: of course. So the idea of predestination is this idea that before any of us who ever born, God chose those of us who God was going to save and everybody else was just a child of the devil. And for some reason, the devil got to have children and I couldn't quite wrap my head around that, but I always wanted to because I wanted to believe what my parents believed. And I wanted to understand why would some people be picked and other people aren't. And, and you know, just the older I got, you know, like I really wanted to believe what my parents believed and my grandparents. And I I think, you know, for me, i i just could never wrap my head around uh why god would allow people to be born as children of the devil only you know because we know that they're not if they're not a chosen one only to live this life and then spend eternity in eternal damnation and burning in hell and that you know that's what they believe and uh what's wild to me is that they believe most people are only born with the person purpose to be a child of the devil and spend eternity in hell. And that is, uh, that's how I grew up. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, and then, yeah, the eternal security idea probably makes sense with that, but it's like, oh, once saved, always saved. If, if you're a chosen one, then you're good and you can't lose your salvation because God already chose you and it's God's choice and not yours. And it's from God's doing and not your doing. And, you know, Whatever. And if
0: you and if you walk away from faith, it means you never really had it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And
3: and then so getting invited to this Wesleyan youth group and Wesleyan's a smaller denomination. Wesleyan and Nazarenes are kind of more conservative evangelical versions of Methodist. And uh, so there there's a good foundation there, I'll say, like John Wesley. I'm I'm pretty into John Wesley's Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which is basically just how we understand the Bible, right? It's how, you know, how we find that lens of how we look at it through, and uh, the way John Wesley put it was that we we get that from Scripture. We get it from tradition, we get it from reason, and we get it from experience. And so, when we try to understand our faith, it's trying to understand it through those four things. Now, in the Wesleyan world, scripture far outweighs any of those other three, and they kind of look at the Bible, as many of us did growing up in the evangelical world, as a fourth person in the Trinity. And so, I guess, you know, all of a sudden I get thrown into this youth group that believes very, they're both very Fundamentalist churches, don't get me wrong, but they still believe really different things. And so all of a sudden, you know, I'm probably the only 14, 15, 16-year-old kid I know that is staying up late at night wrestling with these ideas of predestination versus free will, right? But uh and, and also trying not to be gay. And that's that's the way that way it went.
0: And please your parents. Yeah. Right? I mean, that sounds negative, but you 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 love your parents and you want them to be proud of you, right? So all that stuff is coming together.
3: Yeah, you know, it's tough when all of a sudden all your worst fears as an adult or you know all the worst fears you had as a kid come true as an adult you know yeah, it's one of those things where yeah i i think i was in love with the bible and and wanting to understand what it meant to be a man of god and my parents always had something to be proud of me with, with being on a Christian record label and doing the work of the Lord, and it was very easy for them to brag about me to all their friends. But you know what I have unfortunately learned is all those things that I as I, that I feared as a kid from being you know, that there's a huge difference between loved for who you are and someone being proud of you and uh, being loved in spite of who you are and someone thinking something is fundamentally wrong with you. That was this thing I was scared of since I was a child. And, you know, I think, yeah, it's one of those things that when you realize as an adult that all those fears as a kid were valid, it's not the
1: best feeling in the world. I wanted to explore a little bit the what you just said, because I think that's actually a really big concept there of being loved for who you are and being loved in spite of who you are. Can you just say a little bit more about how you experience that from the Christian community and how that connects with faith or what what you see in the Bible or what you see love as being? How, how does all that connect?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that Wesleyan church I got involved in at 14 they were my church family through all my touring years i mean that was always my home church and you know and it's amazing how I completely lost everyone when I came out. There were a few years there leading up to coming out and accepting myself that I was progressing very much in my own faith. I mean, there's one one beautiful thing about touring around the world is seeing lots of different people that believe very different things and the ways that seeing the world can challenge your worldview and and even your faith worldview. And if, if that's a phrase, I don't know. You know, for me... It's been amazing and and heartbreaking and, and devastating in a lot of ways to see how many people even told me they still loved me, but all of a sudden, none of those people really had a personal relationship with me anymore. You know, all of a sudden that feeling of, oh, you know, I'll, I'll always love you. I might, I might disagree with who you're choosing to be, <laughs> uh, like, I'm, and I'm not misquoting. This is literally things that were said to me over and over, and uh, people that were trying to figure out with their own box of faith and their own worldview how to love me when they didn't know how, and and when the people that I was the closest to were not able to love me as well as I needed them to be able to love me, to love me for who I am, and not in spite of. who who I am. And I, th- I think that's what I mean. I think that that is something that I've really realized who cares about, I don't know, having their heart break with me when my heart is broken and who is willing to try to understand the devastation and trauma that I have felt my whole life. And who doesn't really want to hear those things because it might break their house of cards, that faith that they think has to all fit in this certain box.
0: You want to follow up, Jared?
1: N- no, I think that's excellent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's, But you know, I, what I, my commentary on that is just that I'm actually working with this concept of love and truth right now. And, and I'm very frustrated with how we use like speaking the truth in love as like a weapon. And I'm, I'm always fascinated at what people mean by love. When they say things that are clearly very hurtful to people, mm. and somehow that's somehow that's loving. And I, I keep trying to like figure out what that is. What is loving about that? Sort of uh, somehow saving, I guess, your soul. If you feel bad about yourself enough, then you'll change and, and avoid eternity in hell or something, I guess. Yeah. So, hmm. so that, that was all. Just uh, that frustration of that. And, and it, uh, with a lot of my, my gay friends, there's just a lot of the stories like what you've shared where it sounds nice in theory, you know, I love you. I can't accept who you are, but I love you. Yeah. And it sounds like a good way to sort of navigate both these worlds. It's like the difference between a welcoming church and an affirming church, which is super confusing.
3: Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those things that I realize I've, I've had a lot to process over the last few years as I was coming out to myself and my family and eventually coming out publicly to my fans and sort of the rest of the world and in general, um, I realize how much I was brainwashed growing up to believe that I could be something that I wasn't and how much trauma and and spiritual abuse that happened in my life. But I also, I think, you know, unfortunately, I've been thinking about this a lot lately just because things that have been happening in my personal life, but that well-known phrase that hurt people hurt people, you know, and uh, there there's this idea that you know, those that have been spiritually abused their entire lives know nothing but to do the same to others. And so it's like they're trying sometimes the best they know how, but honestly, just sometimes the best they know how is still very uh, toxic and hurtful and they don't want to really have to, dig deep into understanding
0: how what they think is actually this hurtful ideology or belief. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union
1: Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community, You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path.
0: You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a
1: world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on the Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much P and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at the Bible for Normal People.
0: It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email. In one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes
1: in. And you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just called them bushes. But we got them in last night.
0: And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point.
1: It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact (laughs) instruction level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We love the process.
0: This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code normal people at checkout. com code normal people offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. And you had your experiences in your Christian community weren't supportive generally speaking, but you had that I think advantage of going and touring like you said and seeing people for whom just there's a Christian world out there. Yeah that would not connect with the Christian community that you're aware of. You sort of had the experience that other people have had on a much smaller scale, which is like a relative that comes out. Mm. And all of a sudden your experience changes and you think differently about stuff. And, or you go into a church where it's like, they're not hung up on whatever the issue is. And you start saying, well, maybe there's a different way of being Christian. And I can imagine that was very... Faith affirming for you?
3: Yeah, you know, it's like, it's one of those things that I think my whole life, I, one, always wore all my beliefs, like all my, I wore everything on my sleeve, you know, it was very. I was committed until it just could not work anymore, and that was with my Calvinist beliefs as a kid and wanting to believe like my dad and my grandparents believed. And then there, there was eventually this time as a late teen, as I'd been wrestling as a teenager with those beliefs, where I just could not believe what I used to believe anymore. Right, and then kind of getting more into that Wesleyan evangelical world, it was still very much this fundamentalist way of seeing the Bible, and I. I was full in on that, you know? I was uh still super good Christian kid and I don't know if good good is the right word, but in my mind it, it was at the time, I was trying to live what I had been taught through that evangelical lens, fundamentalist lens, way of seeing the Bible until it just did not work anymore. And so then in my early twenties, all of a sudden I'm, you know, touring all around the world. I go to all 50 States. I've been in 20 countries. I'm, I'm touring in thousands of different churches or church related events. And all of a sudden you're meeting people that believe really different things. And you're trying to understand why do they believe what they believe and and why have they not run into this problem that that does not work for them anymore and how does that stack up against what I had been taught and so I think there were all these things that weren't working for me but I was still trying to hang on to a lot of those fundamentalist beliefs and then during that time you know I'm desperately wanting to know what it means to fall in love and when you have no idea what to even stack that against like you know like when when I never had sex before I got married and you're wondering what it's like to have a crush and all the feelings that I ever had towards other guys, it was it was very much a compartmentalized thing, right? I thought any sexual thoughts were from the devil, and it was Satan tempting me and, you know, begging God to to take that away from me and to help me to have those attractions to girls. And I, I thought I could, and I thought that I, what I really convinced myself to believe, and it was brainwashed to believe that I could choose to will this to happen. And, and it was easy to stay sexually pure because I grew up in sexual purity culture. Right. And so uh, it was easy to not have sex before marriage. And I mean, I even remember in my early twenties coming home from tour and my mom, she, she loved to stay up late at night with me and we're both kind of night owls. And, uh, she, I remember even into my twenties asking my mom, what is it supposed to feel like to fall in love and uh, still not understanding and still not being able to associate any of the feelings I had towards my friends as romantic feelings. And then trying to understand if what I was feeling towards these girls that I would like, you know, I loved hanging out with girls and doing things with girls, not, not sexually or (laughs) anything like that. But I thought, well, maybe I know, right. Uh, Somebody should have been telling me, but, but, you know, I thought, I thought, maybe this is what it's supposed to feel like and do other guys feel this way too, but it's so taboo, you just can't talk about it. So a couple of things along with that is one, as a kid that was obsessed with the Bible, I just, fell completely in love with the passage in the Hebrew scriptures of Jonathan and David uh, in first Samuel chapters 18 through 20 right at the end of chapter seventeen David slays Goliath and then right at the beginning of chapter eighteen it says that David moved in with the king Saul at the at the castle right at, at, in the kingdom and, and and like within the first few verses of chapter eighteen it says that Jonathan uh, the king's son and David became one in spirit. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's that? I didn't know what that was, but I, I, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to have that. And I just... I think that I always thought from like a young adolescent boy, literally, literally until a few years ago, I have always just thought, man, if I could just find that kind of friendship, then maybe I wouldn't have to be gay. And, uh, and I look back now, at how, how messed up that was and how traumatic that was, because that's all I wanted even more than, I don't know. I separated those two things in my mind, having a Jonathan and David type friendship and falling in love with a girl and getting married and having a family. I thought those were supposed to be two different things. So I think I spent my life looking for those kind of friendships and probably even pushing friends away sometimes because because I desired such intimacy and what, whether they did and it scared them or they just didn't, <laughs> you know, I did not associate with that with having crushes or falling in love. But now that I look back, I can see how that's very much what what that was, even though I couldn't admit it to myself, let alone anybody else.
1: We're going to pause for just a minute here on the podcast to remind you that if you'd like to support the work we do at the Bible for Normal People, please just head to Patreon at patreon.com front the Bible for Normal People. There you'll find all sorts of ways to support us for as little as a dollar a month. One group we want to recognize from that group of supporters is our producers group. They get on calls with us, send us feedback constantly of all the ways that we are failing and falling short of the glory of God, and just help us improve and make the show what it is today. So thank you to Graham Brooks, Matt Nabinger, Darcy Duke, Kevin Hofer, Papa Pencil, Lisa Mamula, Nolan Archer, Sean Michael Phillips, Nick Woods, and Eileen Kaywood. We couldn't do what we do without you, so thank you. Now back to the show. As you're talking, Trey, it makes me think too of one of the challenges with any, any theology or any understanding of ourselves and God and how those interact, where you can't trust your own instincts and your own intuitions and your own right. feelings.
3: You have to ask, you keep asking yourself how your instincts and, and, and those things that you feel inside, how they equated with what you were taught about, you know, you know you're, you're doctrine when it came to to the Bible and Scripture, because I mean, that's what the basis is for that whole fundamentalist evangelical way of seeing the Bible is you, you know, you grow up being taught, well, this is God's word. God wrote every word of it. And you have to believe that to be a Christian. And oh, so, you know, fast forward into my twenties, into touring, seeing the world and seeing different ways of believing things. I came across, as so many of us did, these NUMA videos by this guy named Rob Bell. And those rocked my world because they felt so fresh and I didn't even understand the the time why they felt that way. I just knew that I felt like it was giving some new freshness to this thing that I had kind of become somewhat disenchanted by by, you know, when it came to the Bible and and then he released his first book, Velvet Elvis, and quickly became my favorite author. And I think I was exhilarated and mystified by Velvet Elvis when it came out, but it also scared me. Like I loved the way he talked about your faith being like springs and that really started to help make sense of all these doctrinal questions I was having as this young man touring the world, seeing different denominations, and and wrestling with what do I believe about certain things. And it also scared me. Like there's this place in in that book where uh, Rob talks about what if you found out. Uh, the virgin birth wasn't true, and that scared the shit out of me. I was just like, "Well, of course that would make my whole faith crumble." And uh, you know, his whole point was that it shouldn't make it crumble. But the first time I read that, and I've read it many times over the years, and I think each time I read it, I was a little further in my journey, and it started to make more and more sense. And eventually, I was in Michigan on tour, and I got to meet Rob, and we became friends, and he somewhat became a mentor of mine and and Rob became a bit of a gateway drug for me to lead me to oh gosh, you know, Buchner and Nuon and uh Richard Rohr and, and so many other wonderful people and uh and, and you, Pete. And so I think that is definitely the thing that helped me continue to progress in my faith, where I was able to do the work to even, you know, accept gay people and start looking at the Bible in new ways, even before I could accept myself. And and I think a huge part of that probably was that I was already married and had a kid at that point. And so, it still didn't even feel like an option for myself. And I think, I think it's hard for probably most people to understand what it's like to be gay and get married in a kind of mixed orientation marriage where you're married to somebody who is straight and you're trying to be straight. And and it's really hard to explain to people, I think, that haven't been through it, how messed up your mind is when you've grown up believing and trying to believe that you can be something that you're not. And so, there there was definitely a lot of compartmentalizing that happened. And I will say the one thing I was thankful for, though, is that by the time I was able to come to a place where I could accept myself, that I had already done a lot of the legwork to understand what I believed about it theologically. And I didn't think God was angry at me anymore. I just, I obviously still had a lot a lot to grieve in my life, but that was not one of the
0: things. So how? I mean, how did you process? Just sticking with the Bible a little bit. Yeah. How did you? How did you like handle at maybe those earlier stages in the process before you started getting? different angles on the Bible through, like, Rob Bell, etc. Yeah. Um, h- how did you process some of these, you must have heard of the clobber passages. Yeah, So, I yeah. mean, did you just I mean, say, I, well, that I, can't I, be true, or did those mi- cause you sleepless nights, or what happened?
3: Oh, I mean, every night was a sleepless night, you know, uh, it, it, in that sense, at least, you know, I... I desperately wanted to fall in love. I'm a hopeless romantic, and uh, I wanted to know what it felt like to fall in love. And I didn't want to be gay, and I felt ashamed of being attracted to other boys. And I I didn't want to be, and I thought that God would be angry at me. I I was scared of my family being disappointed in me, or you know, and thinking something was wrong with me. And so I just did not want to be gay. And and yeah, you know, you grew up being taught God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. And I didn't know... Of course, growing up, that those were considered clobber passages. But I know what you mean when you when you talk about you know the handful of places throughout Scripture that mention something to do with same sex relations.
0: And uh, and so you really took that in. I mean, Trey, those things affected you. That's sort of what I'm after. Of course, yeah. Okay, they, you didn't just say, oh, whatever. I know God's not like that. I'm too sophisticated.
3: They caused deep psychological trauma that made me think I have to do whatever it takes to not be gay. Uh, yeah, of course. And that happens to millions and millions of people and destroys millions and millions of lives and it it was one of those things that I was convinced that God wrote all all these things and God told these people what to write and and so I must not be gay and these just must be a temptation I don't understand why I have these temptations and I part of me wonders to a lot of guys have these temptations, like is this normal? Uh, is it just this thing that we don't talk about, or is something different about me than all all these other guys and uh, i I did not know how to process that mentally
1: so when so I was when I, we were talking earlier, I mentioned kind of how this theology of not being able to trust yourself can really cause a lot of of problems yeah. later, and another one. It sounds like you've mentioned a few times is not having a place to talk about these taboo things. And would you say that plays into it as well as the church not being able to talk about sexuality in more open and safe ways led to just a lot of a lot of confusion and mixed messages and questions? Yeah. Um, what was your experience like with the ability to talk to other Christians about this, and how how did that help or hinder your your journey? Oh yeah, I mean
3: absolutely. You know, I I grew up. in in a way that, that so many of us do where there's just certain things you don't talk about. You know, like when I, I mean, there's so many layers to this. For me, when I was 12, I grew up in a small town right outside of Columbus, Ohio, and my grandparents were in that town, and my aunt and uncle were in that town on my mom's side, and we did everything together. And then all of a sudden, when I was 12 years old, found out my uncle, who was married, had two kids his son was my age i found out that he was hiv positive you know there were definitely rumors about how he got that but none of those things that were talked about had to do with the idea that he might be gay it was quickly learned in our family that we just didn't talk about that and i think as i got older i and especially after i got married and realized my own failures i think i came to probably realized that maybe he was, but it was just so taboo. You just couldn't talk about it. Right. And for me, somebody who toured with bandmates, I didn't I didn't want to talk about, you know, the fact that I had sexual thoughts about guys. Sometimes I didn't want to ask my bandmates if they did because, because then we'd be forced to talk about this thing that could like maybe end our friendships and end our band. And, um, and I couldn't talk to anybody about that because I was so ashamed. I was so deeply ashamed of it. I couldn't even admit to myself that I was gay until three years ago. And when my wife finally, after seven years of marriage ended up in a place with me where she asked me, am I gay? and, I had not even been able to admit to myself that at this point and so let alone her and so All I could even say in that moment was I don't know, but I think I need to get help and I remember Shortly after that, I called an affirming pastor friend of mine and uh, started to talk to him for a couple hours. And for the first time in my life, I said out loud, I think I might be gay. And I just cried and cried and cried. And just even, even getting those words out felt like the hardest thing I had ever done. And when I said it, it felt like I finally... Release something I'd been hanging on to my entire life, and yeah, so I guess that's how taboo it was. It was one of those things that I I grew up in that culture where where you didn't talk about that stuff. You just pretended everybody is straight, and you might make gay jokes and blah 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 with the guys, but nobody's really gay. And that's the that's the world I grew up
1: in. So where do you go from here with your with your faith? You're kind of three years into this, really. Earth-shattering change.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, fortunately, like I said, I had done a lot of the legwork before I came out, at least in understanding how I looked at the Bible. I remember just even as my friendship with Rob Bell grew several years ago, the first time I emailed him, and I was so nervous to send this email, and and he must have probably gotten the biggest kick out of it, but uh, for me, I... I was so scared to even say this, like it was such a taboo thing to say, because you were taught to believe that you know the Bible was inerrant and infallible, and all these words that we've come up with over the years, right? And so I remember emailing him and saying, "Do you think it's possible to still believe in Jesus and not think the Bible is?" inerrant or infallible or whatever. And, uh, and he was just like, he, he realized the light bulbs were starting to click in my head and, uh, and he just got such a kick out of that. But I, I, I remember as I was start to able to accept even that, like how much that, that had to do with the rest of my theological beliefs and my faith. And so that really started to shape my faith in a lot of ways, just even starting to see the Bible as this beautiful thing that is very, you know, inspired. And I know you guys talk about this uh, a lot on here, and I, I'm a big fan of your podcast, by the way. I love what you guys do. I think when I was able to start to let go and realize that these people that wrote these books and letters and this collection that we call the Bible, they're all just humans that were writing their experience to the divine and their time and culture and place the best they knew how to, then it gives me a lot better understanding of what i'm reading when i look at it and i and and it's and it's definitely i think and for you guys as well and so many of us it has become so much more beautiful as you look at it that way because you start to understand the way their brain was working a little more and the way their heart was working a little more and how they were trying to probably figure out their faith in their context of how they grew up and it gave me a little more grace for the way Paul talked about women or seemed to condone slavery or the way some, uh, authors in the, in the old Testament talked about genocide. And, uh, I, you know, I started to realize, well, it's not that necessarily all these things in here are completely okay or God ordained, but maybe there were steps forward and maybe, maybe, uh they were doing the best they knew how for what they were given. And then it gives me a little more grace even for people in my life that don't know how to love me super well when I know that they are sometimes doing the best they knew how from what they were given. And and it does not justify spiritual abuse or mental abuse or or the way millions and millions of LGBTQ lives are damaged by a lot of this toxic theology. And I, I am a big advocate for talking about these things and wanting to see change. But I also realize that it's not just about talking about those clobber verses. Like, that's great. And we can go, oh, well, maybe he didn't mean this, or maybe he didn't mean that. But if you don't start with sort of those foundations of how you see the Bible and what that is, then um, I think you're going to have a lot harder time really understanding those scriptures because you're trying to play the same game that I think is played in fundamentalism. And I think that there's a more important conversation to be had when it comes to those passages.
0: Something that's coming through here, Trey, and you're discussing all these things is, and and you just sort of said it now again, that I think a lot of this in your experience has been learning to think differently about what the Bible is, and not simply what do I do with this verse from that same sort of fundamentalist point of view.
3: Absolutely. I think that's the most important thing you can talk about uh, when it comes to understanding your sexuality as a Christian or somebody that grew up in this faith tradition. It's not just about, oh, well, what did Paul mean when he wrote Romans 1? And did it it really mean homosexual if homosexual wasn't a word till the 1800s? Or was he talking about temple prostitution? Like, yeah, I think those are good conversations and that can be important. But I also think it can be very easy to miss the The bigger understanding that and the bigger conversation that needs to be had kind of the conversation behind the conversation is well, first of all, was God writing this? Is this uh you know god ordained and and yeah, you can talk about did Paul understand being gay like we understand being gay today, like being in a committed relationship? I was obviously saying no, but you know there's a lot of things Paul probably didn't understand like when it came to slavery or women's rights or all kinds of things and We've found ways to get around those, but people still want to hang on to those fundamentalist ideas, and as long as you hang on to that, you're still going to use it to try to control people and probably hurt people with these sort of what what I believe are spiritually toxic uh, ideologies and, you know, trying to pretend that you can know something about God or the Bible that you just can't know and you start to move more into fundamentalism than faith. And I think that, yeah, that that's the more important conversation to be had when it comes to that.
0: And that's the threatening one too, because that- Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't speak, and I'm not speaking down to anyone because I think every person of faith that has this sacred text we're dealing with, we're sort of in, in a similar boat. But when you start messing with such a fundamental idea Namely, this Bible isn't what I thought it was. It's not really a rule book. Right. And in fact, it's sort of a mess in places, and I still want to take it seriously. Yeah. See, that's why, you know, looking at all that stuff like, you know, you you mentioned Romans 1 and, you know, what is Paul referring to? Homosexuality wasn't a term until the modern period. Yeah. All that kind of stuff that actually pushes you. To ask those questions Absolutely. about well, well, what is this text we're reading here? Yeah.
3: and 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 to be honest, those were the same. It, it's it's a different topic, uh, but let that same way, I had to be pushed to try to understand what is going on here. Is the same thing that I was doing as a teenager when it came to like Romans nine and and the way and the way my parents would talk about predestination. And so, um, trying to understand what is Paul talking about here. And so, yeah, no, definitely. I I think that if you keep playing tennis but there is a different game you're supposed to be playing when it, when it, you know when it, when really you're supposed to be over here playing soccer but you're you know when you're getting into these theological debate arguments with people playing tennis you're not going to get very far and that's that, i think when i sat down with my old pastor from that mega church evangelical church that i was at in columbus he wanted to sit there and talk to me about oh well, what do i think this scripture means it's like well I don't I don't really look at scripture that way anymore. And when I was able to let go of needing it all to make sense of each other and everyone in the Bible had to agree with each other. And when I was able to start looking at it differently in a way that it's more of this beautiful arc where a lot of the things Jesus is saying is way more progressive than things people were saying before him. And over and over, Jesus is going against things that people were doing before him in his faith tradition as a Jew. And so when I was able to, start to see it more as this progressive arc of humanity it, within our faith tradition and kind of what our faith tradition has become as Christians it became a lot more beautiful to me and and it's helped me actually hang on to a faith that I might not have been able to hang on to anymore if I wasn't able to do that work to understand understand it in this sort of progressive, non-fundamentalist way.
0: The very opposite happened to you that you were warned about. If you start going down this road, you're not going to believe anything anymore, but you actually found... A faith that's more affirming, life affirming.
3: Oh, absolutely. Just generally,
0: just our, just of our humanity. Yeah. That you know, maybe God actually cares, and we have this messy Bible that sort of helps show us that. And
3: and and maybe that's the pot of gold at the end of the slippery slope, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there are all sorts of slippery slopes.
3: Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I you know to to be more in love with how I see Jesus now than I ever have been and to to still be able to call myself a Christian and feel good about doing so and not, not necessarily feel good about who I'm always uh, associated with when it comes to that, uh, you know, just to still love Jesus and love the idea of Jesus and have hope in a source, a divine being, a, a God that is with us and that I like to believe is ahead of us, hopefully trying to pull us into something greater. And when you're on a ball spinning in space,
1: it gives me a, a little more peace being able to put my faith into something like that. That's that's a, a very hopeful note to end this conversation on, I think. So, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time, but hey, you're, you're an artist. I am, yeah. <laughs> you create things. So, Why don't you just mention places that people can find your ongoing work? What have you been up to and where can people find it? Sure, yeah. So, after my life hit the fan and I came out
3: publicly, sort of that whole Christian music industry distanced themselves from me. I I was dropped from all the Christian radio and Christian bookstores and Christian festivals and Christian conferences. But what's been cool is that I was able to hang up my old Christian band and keep writing about my truth and my experiences and i just put out my first solo album called love is love i'm extremely proud of it it has everything to do with all the emotions i have felt over these last couple years and going through all of this you know kind of the exciting parts and some of the grieving parts parts that have to do with the crushes that i had never allowed myself to experience before and then also just thinking deeply about my faith and what those things mean to me as well. And so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really proud of it. You can go to TreyPearson.com and you can find all my social media things there. You can find my album wherever you listen to music, Spotify, Apple Music. I'm on. Instagram and Twitter and all those lovely things. I did start this uh, secret group for LGBTQ people and allies on Facebook called Trace Safe Space. So if you send me a message and uh, you kind of fit into that category and are looking for a place to share your journey that you feel can feel safe and comfortable, I would love to have you. And uh, that's kind of what i'm up to i'm working on a lot of new things but the album is out what i'm touring right now and i'm on tour so yeah excellent well thank you so much for coming on trey oh gosh thank you guys so much for having me i love what you do and uh it was wonderful getting to meet you guys in person and i'm really i don't know overwhelmed and excited to to just get to have this time to get to talk to you guys and thanks for inviting me
0: absolutely you bet it was great to have you
3: thank you so much
0: all right trey see ya All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of our podcast. It was a pleasure having Trey Pearson on. If you want to find out more about him, buy a computer, open up Google and just type in Trey Pearson. What else can I say? He's pretty famous.
1: So I want to bring us back to what Trey mentioned at the end of the podcast. On Facebook, he has a group called Trey's Safe Space. And so for anyone who's questioning their sexuality or or even confident and just want a place to, to gather and talk, if you're in the LGBTQIA community, would identify that way. And just reach out to us and try to get in touch with us or reach out to Trey and just learn more about that. It can be a really cool place, a really safe place to talk, learn, have conversations, become self-aware, connect, all the above. I would just encourage you to do that. Another thing that we talked about that Trey mentioned is how a lot of this caused him to ask, what is the Bible and how do we reimagine what kind of God we're talking about here? And, you know, one thing that we've done is talk a lot about what is God like and what is the Bible, what do we do with it? And Pete, you have a course online that we developed And now people can have access to that Where we can get lots of conversation Some teaching sessions, some Q&A And uh, yeah, so if you want to be a part of that Just check it out You can go to com front slash course And look at that, again, it's called What is God Like?
0: Yeah, and I think at the end of the day That's the big question we're all asking in our own way What is God like? All right, well, until next time Thanks folks, see ya!
2: Hey Jesus can you hear me now It's been a while Since I came out I was wondering Do you love me The same You see I've loved you since I was young Tried to be The greatest son Now I'm wondering Could they love me The same Cause I know that I I could never change I tried so hard brought so much pain and I just want to be loved for who I am I know that I could never change I tried so hard brought so much pain and I just want to be loved for who I am I Cause I know that I can never change a tried so hard Brought so much pain and I just wanna be loved for who I am I know that I could never change a tried so hard Brought so much pain and I